The contemporary French intellectual, Pascal Bruckner, argues in The Temptation of Innocence that modern individualism may be taking us backward. He observes that when one's duty is foremost to oneself, there is no sense of social obligation, and guided only by the lantern of his own understanding, the individual loses all assurance of a place, an order, a definition. He may have gained freedom, but he has lost security. In our self-reliant society, we believe we are responsible for our own happiness and prosperity. Everyone must sell himself as a person in order to be accepted, Bruckner writes, but this constant self-promotion and image cultivation comes at a cost. We lose touch with others and ultimately our sense of belonging and connection, which was all we really wanted in the first place. Welcome to the Rethinking Humanity podcast, where we dive deeper and what, into what makes us human and what causes us to thrive. I'm Lacey Delane. Hi, I'm Sonia Lorea. And we are excited to be joining you today from Atlanta, Georgia. What's going on, people? More of the same, Lacey. What's <laughs> still indoors? Hey, it's hot. Hot oh. as hell outside. Oh, my gosh. It's so hot. It is. I feel so, it. Yes, so humid here in Atlanta. Uh, we had a nice little cool spring, but, man, this summer has been brutal. Um, lots going on in the news, which mm-hmm. seems pretty characteristic of 2020. Um, we got, uh, obviously COVID surging. We've got, you know, John Lewis passing, which we're, we'll, we're going to touch a little bit on all that. Um, mm-hmm. so, and we're going to go into what is the having mode of existence today, um, from chapter four and Eric Fromm's book. So we're super excited. Sonia, tell us. Uh, what's going on with you and what, what are you seeing and hearing with COVID? What's your experience been mm. Let's, like set the stage for what's going on right now with COVID here in Georgia? And, so uh, I'm sure everyone who lives here in Georgia knows that if you're even have a pulse, you know, you know, that our, that everything is increasing the numbers. Um, unfortunately, Georgia is one of the States that opened early. Uh, and I think we're seeing the signs of that. We know that there's some states like Texas and Florida that are just getting slammed. And yeah. I think you and I have talked about it, Lacey. It's, it's a little bit unreal because, you know, luckily I have known some people, but sort of extended out of my circle that have got COVID, but I haven't been personally touched by it. And right. so we talked about until maybe you do have that unfortunate experience. I think for a lot of people, it's not uh, reality. But on a positive note, it looks like more people are wearing masks. Uh, stores such as like Walmart, Kroger, all the main stores are making you it mandatory because we had a big mask issue here in Georgia. Yeah, I've noticed that too. And uh, yeah, we're just day by day doing our thing, right? Yeah. It's well, you know, normal. It's, it's interesting too because this week, I think what you're saying is very true. And I think it's maybe why a lot of people have a hard time with following these suggested guidelines or even when their requirements, depending on the state you're in, um, is that, you know, your point in that um, if until you have a personal experience with it, it's 
kind of hard to really realize, you know, how real it is. And uh, so it's true. And speaking of that, like, you know, that this week I had a day where I was just like, whoa, this, it just kind of hit me how real it is and how mm-hmm. bad it is. <laughs> like, right. I mean, And I think part of that is because I found out that someone that I've known my whole life, I'm not, they're not a part of my life anymore. I'm not a part of their life anymore, but someone who's an older gentleman Mm -hmm. um, that I knew, you know, earlier in my life, I found out was in ICU um, and with the virus, um, you know, and we know how, what typically happens with, with older folks, Mm -hmm. you know, in an ICU situation. So with the Mm -hmm. virus, that and then you know there's several folks that I know personally that have gotten the virus um, and someone else who's like a 37 year old female friend of a friend really bad shape in the hospital with it and I'm just like wow and we're also coming to a place now and it's like late July where uh, you know this pandemic unemployment assistance is about to run out and so between the yes. reality of like, oh, now I'm feeling this a little bit more because I know someone personally that's, you know, dealing with it. Mm-hmm. And then between that and then the pandemic unemployment assistance running out, which is obviously something that will affect me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I had a day where I was like, <gasps> you know, this is scary. scary. It's real. It's, it's really, it is real. I think you're, you're absolutely right. And the fact that, like you said, you've been touched by some people, you know, I'll tell you what also has affected me, and I think you sent an article out uh, in one of our chats. We don't really know the long-term effects of this. So I think there was a time where some people, myself included, said, hey, well, maybe if I get it, that's good because I'll have it. I'll get immunity, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we we don't want to go down that path because we're not sure, you know, what are the ramifications of that? And how long will you have to live with the side, you know, effects or whatever is going to happen because it's such an unknown virus. That's right. I think that that was another part of me feeling like, whoa, this is kind of scary because, you know, there was a pulmonologist that I was listening to talking about how what she'd seen. And there was a case of a 25 year old marathon runner. I know that. Yeah. Couldn't oh, walk wow. across the room afterwards without breathing. Like, <gasps> I'm like, oh my gosh. And, you know, my quality of life is so important to me. Mm-hmm. A work life balance is really important to me. I'm a soccer player and I love it. Like, it just would be, it's scary to me to think that I could get the virus and it could have an effect like that mm-hmm. on my like quality of life, but also like long term health. Yeah, the impact of that is it's, it's sobering. You go, whoa. And I think that alone, that story you're saying, should make people realize the importance of the masks. Because even if you feel like I'm healthy or, you know, this isn't going to happen to me, you really have to look at it as you're protecting others, right. not just yourself. And right. you don't know if you're transmitting it. And it's just the best thing to do for everybody concerned. And it's a simple thing. Yes. Um, one that we have gotten used to, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a way of showing other people respect for sure in its simplest form. And I think the other part that is a little scary is, you know, uh, when the fall and the winter come, obviously mm-hmm. it's flu season, cold and flu season. And so, yeah, just not knowing. And even Governor Cuomo said this today in, a, in an address that he made in New York before he flew to Georgia. He's actually in Georgia 
helping us as a state, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he said, he was like, we are, I love how bold he is. He's like, we are not any, we have not progressed any further than we had on the first day of this crisis because the federal government really hasn't done what they need to do in terms of testing, contact tracing. I mean, these are tried and true methods to Mm -hmm. offset, to, you know, get through a pandemic and that's just not happening. And if you look at what happened in New York and they're at like, they, I think they maybe had, he said eight deaths in the last 24 hours to COVID and their cases are like way, way, way down. It's a different world they're living in than right. we are here in Georgia, right. than Florida, Arizona, and what you're seeing in other places. Yeah, he, he got a handle on it. And unfortunately, yeah, our other states have not. And we know what the federal government's done. So, yeah, it's a yeah. mess. And I hope that we're going to move towards tackling it, you know, Me one too. day at a time here. <laughs> Me too. And then, of course, you have the legendary. I yeah. don't even think I realized how legendary John Lewis was oh, until yeah. until this weekend, really. Until he passed. He passed uh, July 17th. Um, this is something that many people kind of thought might happen because he was <laughs> battling cancer. Um, but this guy was a, a civil rights legend. And I'm not even going to mention anything that he did because it wouldn't do it any justice. But the point is that this guy was like, right alongside Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, legacy, the history that belongs to Atlanta when it comes to civil rights is insane. And his representation of our district obviously is huge. Right. Um, so that was a big deal. That was a really, really big deal. Somewhat yeah. expected, somewhat unexpected, I think. Yeah, he's a representative for Georgia's 5th Congressional District. Um you know, he was battling the pancreatic cancer, but as you're saying, he's an icon. And I've been hearing things all day, like on the radio, and obviously there's a lot of tributes. And he does represent um, the city of Atlanta. He's just, he's huge. And it's a it's a loss, uh, and it will be hard for someone to fill his shoes. Yeah, absolutely. I think it will. Um, I know you had a quote, Sonia. I don't know if you have it handy. If you don't, it's okay. Of his that you felt was like, really inspiring if you need to find oh, it oh yeah yeah i'll be looking for that yes okay. i did i did i think i can pull that up really quickly um yeah i you know the night actually that i think he passed i think we talked about this the twitter and all the social media started you know started to blow up because obviously it was huge um uh, and even though ah i found it here we go i think this is awesome okay. do not get lost in a sea of despair be hopeful, be optimistic. Our struggle is not the struggle of a day, a week, a month, or a year. It is the struggle of a lifetime. Never, ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble, necessary trouble. That was Yeah, John Lewis, 2002. That's awesome. Think about, he got this guy, this man got freaking beat up, literally. (laughs) I know. know. Literally. And he he kept going. Yeah, and he kept going, and he says, "Don't be afraid to get in trouble, good trouble, and and make some noise." I love that. Honestly, I I, I gotta say, I'm like inspired by by yeah. him, learning his story more more in depth lately. Well, so, and you know what I loved loved about that quote is that it's the struggle of a lifetime, right? Because when yeah. you're involved in these um, movements or anything in life, 
you know, it's, it's easy to get uh, down and defeated, you know, when you have setbacks, but the idea that you're, you keep moving forward, you keep inching forward. And even if you have to go back, you move forward. I think mm -hmm. that's pretty powerful. Yes, it, it really is. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've dealt with today, particularly I say dealt with, one of the things we found out today, it kind of applies to that. So, um, you know, we actually found out the, the Democratic Party of Georgia appointed um, a Nakima Williams in Lewis's place. Um, one of the things I, I'm a District 5 resident. Uh, you are, too, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. OK, so we're both we both live in John Lewis's district. I'm disappointed as a constituent that I haven't that I'm not in a position where I've been able to vote for whom uh, would be his replacement. Um, and the law, how the law is written is that blah, 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 this is how it works. But I mean, look, this guy fought for people's right to vote. Exactly. I mean, come on, we need to be having a, the democracy in the spirit of democracy. We need a special election sure, and let us decide who we want to represent us. Not let, I mean, all due respect to the democratic party, but let they're them. not the people. They're not True. the people. True, true. Now, we, we discussed that earlier. Um, yeah, in our district, we were unable to do that. Uh, we're not sure actually how that outcome is going to go come November, right? Mm -hmm. But right now, yeah, we were we were disappointed. Yes. Yes. So, and of course, there's uh, one person that primaried him, Barrington Martin. He got 20,000 votes, which is considerable. Mm -hmm enough for him to have been on the list of people to consider they didn't put him on the list. So that's disappointing. Again, these are the things that John Lewis was an icon fighting for, for the voice of the people. And so that's a, dis that's a disappointing thing. And, you know, um, I'm hopeful and I take heart in what you just read actually in his mm -hmm. words, it's a lifetime of work. Right. A struggle that we have to continue mm -hmm. to just go make noise and mm -hmm. get in some good trouble absolutely yes. in the spirit of that everybody <laughs> go make good trouble stand up for what you what you believe in for sure for sure yes um well cool well let's dive into the content then for this episode mm -hmm. we are in episode six which is freaking awesome mm -hmm. um chapter four is kind of where we're pulling from today for our conversation uh from Eric Fromm's To Have or To Be, we are in the chapter that is called What is the Having Mode? So we're kind of, he's and we are diving deeper into what is the having mode? What are the characteristics that make up the having mode of existence? Um, and one thing I wanted to do before we kind of dive too much into it is to give, I'm going to read the very first paragraph mm -hmm. just to give a little bit of context. Um, you know, because uh, I think it's helpful for, for people to understand, um, you know, where we where we're getting this information and uh, the having mode. So this is the title is the subtitle is the acquisitive society basis for the having mode. Our judgments are extremely biased because we live in a society that rests on private property, profit and power as the pillars of its existence to acquire, to own, and to make a profit are the sacred and unalienable rights of the individual in the industrial society. 
So look, like, think about that for a second. That's so true. Right. Like you're right. Absolutely. It's your right to acquire, to own, to make a profit. What, what the sources of property are does not matter, nor does possession impose any obligations on the property owners. The principle is where and how my property was acquired or what I do with it is nobody's business but my own. As long as I do not, do not violate the law, my right is unrestricted and absolute. Yeah. Yeah. So he's saying that's the foundation of our, of the having mode and of our society, the way we think. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that was, that was intense. I wrote down uh, the last sentence. I really hit me basically that it doesn't matter how I get it as long as I do not violate the law. Yeah. That's interesting. And it it doesn't matter what you do to it. Right. As long as you don't violate the law. Right. Right. That's an interesting thing. I mean, that means you can acquire, you know, some living things even. And in certain cases, uh, things that aren't illegal, you can get away with abuse. Sure. Oh, wait a minute. People get away with abuse in this country <laughs> all the time, <laughs> even though it's illegal. Anyway. Right. And, and also those that are, um, that do own, they're admired as superior beings. Right. So look at that. That's definitely part of the culture. Right. And a dis- detachment of the humanity that yes. kind of goes along with that. Um, Absolutely. So we wanted to talk before we talk too much about what is the having mode. We wanted to clarify what the having what having mode. Sorry, what the having mode is not. not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think a lot of people would say, what do you mean? Why are you criticizing having? Mm-hmm. We need to have things, you know. We have to have things to exist. So, Sonia, um, I'm just going to throw it to you. How would you answer that? And how, how would, would Frome answer that? Um, you know, tell us what the having mode is not. The having mode is not the things that you think of that we need. Um, he calls it existential having, like food, shelter, clothing, tools, um, to you know produce our needs that that would not be considered having yes those are the things that we need right that would not be considered the having living out of the having mode of existence correct so 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 from we want to make it very clear qualifies he he affirms that every individual has a minimum amount of needs to have certain things. And it would be insane to think that that wasn't the case. Um, So, and he calls that existential having. So he says, hey, yes, there are things that human beings need. Uh, There's a basic uh, amount of things that people need to have in order to exist and survive. Um, And that's, there's no criticism towards that. Correct. So that's not what he's talking about when he says, he defines the having mode. Correct. Correct. Um, yeah. yeah. And if, and if you look at also he talks about human history, this is actually a new uh, idea of having, we did not in more of the nomadic cultures have this mm. need to acquire like the private property that we do today. Yeah. I, I love that. I think it's something I'd like to dive into a little more mm-hmm. research. We've talked about that before Sonia, but um, you know, these indigenous cultures didn't value that. Why, why is that? Why do you think that is? Um, Well, because I think the way the cultures were set up is that they shared. 
and they had to utilize the land or whatever uh, things that they had for their survival. And they really needed to be, it was more collective. It was more of a community. Right. It's more of an egalitarian. And I mean, the overarching answer here, and this is something we've said, something Frome has said, but it's, it's culture. It's how uh, we, we build our societal norms, our character uh, orientation as Mm -hmm. a society, what we need um, to. Yeah. And I'd also throw in the profit part there. So in our society an industrialized society, the idea of acquiring property is also to make Mm -hmm. profit. Right, right. <laughs> As we know, that's a repeated theme that we talk about, too. Absolutely. It super is. So one of the things uh, that he talks about, he does the, he does kind of like differentiate different types of property. One type of property that I thought was interesting, private property, um, that I didn't even really think of before mm-hmm. was like, uh, you know, that private property is really defined of depri- by defined by depriving other people from mm-hmm. being able to use or enjoy the thing that you own Correct. That, that you take as private property. Isn't that an interesting angle to think about private property from? Yeah, it is really interesting. Now I'm just going to throw this out there. Do you remember growing up and I'd be walking somewhere and people would put signs like, you know, it'd be even on a lawn, like no trespassing private property. That's a really interesting concept because say you had to walk Mm. on the lawn to retrieve a ball Mm. or anything, there's this idea. And when you think about it, it's, you know, the land, you think about walking on someone's lawn, but they're only, they're depriving you of something Mm. as simple as putting your foot on their grass. Right. That really takes to me the extreme of how we've taken that ownership this one you said that it brought that to my mind i mean there's millions of examples of course yeah no i mean i think it also reminds me of how that says a that that creates a very competitive very other like situation like you are one of the others so stay off the lawn and it's (laughs) it's antagonistic right Uh in the sense that if something goes on to that person's property they feel like they can, you know, verbally attack you or whatever the case may be. And it's so different than what we mentioned, like, you know, uh, these indigenous societies where the focus was egalitarian, the focus was sharing. It was Mm -hmm. a different vibe altogether, 100%. Correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. so the other part, and then um, I'll, I'll jump over and let you take us through like I am because I have. But the next part is, you know, he talks about uh, how normal it is to own things in our society mm-hmm. and having. Sure. And, uh, and how like people really enjoy owning things, but mo- maybe the thing that they enjoy, in- enjoy owning the most is people, living mm-hmm. things, living mm-hmm. beings. Yes. Um, you know, I may read this part here. In a patriarchal society, even the most miserable men in the poorest classes can be an owner of property in his relationship to his wife. Wow. 
If you're not sitting down, just sit down because I'm not (laughs) done yet. This is insane. By the way, did I mention that I need to date somebody? Where is Eric from, son? (laughs) (laughs) Where? Just reincarnate so I can date you, please. Okay, anyway, um, over whom he can feel he is absolute master. At least for the man in the patriarchal society, having many children is the only way to own persons without needing to work to attain ownership and without capital investment. Considering Mm -hmm. that the whole burden of childbearing in a traditional setting is the woman's, it can hardly be denied that the production of children in a patriarchal society is a matter of crude exploitation of women. Oh, wow. This is, you know, I'm a feminist and this is so powerful because even in this day and age, there is that sense of ownership, you know, of the whole patriarchal society that we're talking about here. And what's I think interesting is even if you are a person that does not have property or lower income, you can still have that idea of ownership, right? Mm -hmm. By having the woman and having the children. And it just goes to show you that um, we're still stuck in that mentality of, of ownership. And when you think of ownership of human beings, that's, something that we're battling today. Yeah, it's, it's, I think if you think about like what you just said, the ownership of human beings and how you said it sounds so weird to me. Like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? The ownership of human beings? Like we're past slavery, right? But then, but did you hear what I just read? Yeah, well, it's it's the exploitation. It's something as simple as you going somewhere and they saying, well, we can't help you, ma'am. We need the signature of your husband also. Right. There's ownership there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I think I, I don't know if I mentioned this. I did. I mentioned this to you. But there's someone in some sports. I think it might have been a professional soccer player okay. who got fired because his wife said something racist on Twitter. Oh, and I'm yeah, like, tell me. yeah, there you go. If you need any any evidence that women are property, there it is right there. But, the girl that you own said something wrong, you're fired. <laughs> you know what I'm I saying? I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Oh, no, my I mean, God. Yeah. I think it's a vicious uh, cycle because we are, you know, as Frome talks about the whole idea of the possession, of possessing yes. something, you know? Yes. Yeah. And he, and even Frome says, like, persons are transformed into things. And, uh, you know, their relations to each other assume the character of ownership. And Mm -hmm. that's really what we're talking about. And he even mentions in the chapter, like once we get past things, like we can even, we even apply that to uh, like people in our lives, like my doctor, uh, (laughs) my lawyer, my, you know, friend. And it's just very interesting that things are so much, we speak so much in the possessive form in the having mode right and i think that 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 um exists because the culture also we've been well he actually goes into this we're in this culture that talks about what you have and how i i alluded to it in the beginning of the chapter that you're superior by things by the objects that you think so this whole idea of acquisition and acquiring and also yeah. a capitalist society, you need to keep acquiring to keep your economy going. 
So it's right. a vicious, it's a vicious cycle. And uh, I know, I think we're going to get into that about the, about actually having uh, I am because I have X. So yes. X has me. Mm-hmm. And a good example that from uses in there is the purchase of uh, the automobile. And he goes through these different steps on when you purchase a car. The first part would be the depersonalization because there's this object that you have this attachment to. The second part would be the thrill of acquisition of acquiring it. Um, The third part is like now you're making a deal and, you know, it's, and and this fits in our whole culture of, of the marketing. But what happens with that experience? You have to keep having that experience to yes. keep getting the hit of that excitement yeah. of yes. acquisition that I yeah. think you spoke to. Right. We talked about this this morning. We were discussing the chapter. There's a, there's a high. There's an adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about it in the, you know, the paragraphs on buying a car. But there's a, when you buy anything. Do you get some type of a rush, you know, on, on acquiring mm-hmm. and obviously in a capitalistic society, you got to have, you got to keep buying shit or there's no, like, yeah. Well, so yeah. it, it feeds it all. It's a circle that feeds into it itself yeah, to have the experience of new stimuli. Right. right. <laughs> and then you get the new couch home and it's beautiful and you're so happy or at least you think you are for like three days. And then you're like, not anymore. And you have to go do it again, you know? Right. And, and so it's just, and he talks about too the shift over time about how, you know, in the decades previous, there was value in something that was old, something that had been had for mm-hmm. a long time. It was like you, utility was a thing. Right. You held on to it and you used it until, you couldn't use it anymore. Now it's like this transitory having where it's like you buy the thing. It's nice and shiny and new. And, you know, within like a year or two, you're like, that's old. It's not valuable <laughs> anymore. I'm getting rid of it and starting again. Exactly. Now that's a good point. And I even think the way that the marketers and the way companies nowadays, even if you wanted to keep the old thing, they don't create things for you to be able to fix your old thing. Now you have to go buy something new, which is crazy. So it just perpetuates that. (laughs) You can't have an iPhone 6 right now. That's a good (laughs) point. You know what? I have a a, uh, Galaxy Note 8, and I tried to find a case for it at the Verizon store. Like, Mm -hmm. it's a two-year-old phone. It's not that old. It's not old. There's not a case. You can't buy a case. (laughs) No, isn't that crazy? Yeah. yeah, that's what's keeping our the whole having going. We have to keep buying the new stuff, and uh, it's and you're kind of an anomaly, right? If you're not in this living in this having world, because that's what the culture supports. Yes, um, definitely. And so, and 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 it's sad because I think then people are their worth is determined by what they have. I know we talked about that before right um yeah that, that's a stat and he talks about that in here it's like a status symbol of you yes. know your home your car the whatever your phone all these items that we're talking about that yeah. really becomes the identity defining someone yes it becomes a part of the ego which mm-hmm. 
you know, becomes that is your it's part of your identity. And then if slash when probably more like when things mm -hmm. change and you lose some of those things, where does that leave you with regards to your identity? <laughs> but you're in, right. a tough, in a tough situation. Um, and, you know, he also says in the having mode, there's not really an alive relationship Correct. between me and what I have. Like it's, I have it, it and I have both become things. Like we're both things mm -hmm. and I have it because I have the ability to make it my own, mm -hmm. but it also has me mm -hmm. uh, because of my sense of identity being wrapped up in it. Yeah. It, it's incredible. And the relationship, it's, yeah, he talks about it's one of deadness. I was thinking yeah. when you were talking, you know, we've all been hit with a million marketing ads, whether it's on TV, on the computer. It's the message that you see, you know, when you have really top advertising of the people, they're, they're, they have something, whatever it is they have, and they're all happy, or there's the sunlight, or they're falling in love. And so yeah. somehow our brain is associating, if I have this thing, if I get this, if I acquire this, yeah. I'm going to get the ultimate reward, right? Yes. <laughs> and it's not, it's not love in a relationship. It's just having something. And all. It's, <laughs> it's funny. It's actually kind of laughable, right? Like you're right. The manipulation used in these ads to sell things is they're using these basic human needs and emotions Mm -hmm. to draw people to buy their product as if their product is able to give them the basic human need and desire that they're projecting in that ad. Sure. And it's not, it's <laughs> not, you'd think we would have figured this one out by now. Um, but, but it's not. No. And, no. Yeah. And I think we're vulnerable because as we've talked about before, if you live in a society that's alienated and isolated, and yeah. relationships are hard, right? Seeing those That's images right. over and over again, there's that part of you that maybe falls to, I'm going to buy that soap or I'm going to, whatever the thing, if I drive that car, I'm yes. going to have friends or, you know, relationships. It's just, it seems very simplistic to talk about, but the human being, you know, we are, like you said, driven by those base emotions. Base needs, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think too, the way we live I, we've talked about this before, the way we live, how isolated we live. Mm -hmm. We think comparatively, let's take big picture between, you know, how uh, indigenous communities lived in groups, very egalitarian to where now it's like the max number typically of people in a house is four, five, six max. And they're all doing their own things. They have their own devices. How much are we really like taking in all these messages that are telling us these advertising advertisements yeah. that sure. are saying, Hey, you, you feel lonely right now. You want to be loved. Look oh, at the yeah. two people look, looking at each other while they drink Coca-Cola, drink a Coke <laughs> and you'll fall in love. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, right. We're so, we are so vulnerable, I guess, yeah. um, to these things because of the way we live. Right. The other point that I'll draw on that, and we discussed this, was the immortality, right? Yes. The idea behind this having, which goes back centuries, you know, we talked about the Egyptians, they would bury with themselves, you know, their most precious items and food for the afterlife. But that even goes into your Christianity and how we think as our culture of creating our wills and doing things in this life 
assuming that we're going to have this immortality. And you see that we talked about that. You just mentioned it: fame, celebrity, yeah, yeah. Um, notoriety. All of those feed into that, where it pulls us away from the being as opposed to the of having. Yeah, I think this is an interesting topic too because basically, Fromm is saying that we have this natural desire to live as long as we can. You know, mm -hmm. we don't want to die, right? And so we strive for this immortality. And even though we know we have to accept that we're going to die, we try to do things that make us believe that we can live forever. And that's what one of those things is, is like fame. Oh, why? Because I will live on. People will always know who I am, you know, or even right. like a will, somebody's will. Sure. Whereas like if I died and I was like, I'm going to leave my couches to Sonia, <laughs> you know what I right. mean? like it's as if I'm still alive because I'm telling you <laughs> that Sonia gets my couches. Whereas if I wasn't alive, then the couches, who, who the fuck knows what would happen to the couches, but it would be okay. I promise. <laughs> and, there's, you know? and there's that attachment, right? With the having. Yes. We're tying that in. And I think um, when, and I know we're going to talk about this eventually, but when we start moving away from that, we're not so attached to these material things that I think pre prevent us actually from really living. Yes, 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 yes. 100%. Another thing in here that I thought was really good, I love this because I really enjoy psychology and uh, learning about what's natural for human beings. Mm -hmm. um, he talks about how the tendency for growth uh, as an individual based on our own natures as, as a living thing mm -hmm. is uh, natural. It's natural for us to have a tendency to grow. Um, and that's something that's common amongst all uh, living things. And we resist any attempt to prevent us growing um, that are determined by our structure. So the point is, is that anything that would keep me from growing in a natural situation, I'm going to resist because it's my nature as a human being, as a living thing to grow, period. Right. And in, in the having mode of existence in the acquiring society, there are certain things that don't work well and that need to be broken about our our natural tendency towards growth in order to facilitate okay. mm -hmm. the having mode of existence. Right. And so what's so interesting is how he talks about, um, you know, breaking of the will mm -hmm. right. in order. Yes. To, to, ah, this is such a common, huge theme too through throughout life, whether it's through school, whether it's by the parents or whatever, but there's a breaking mm -hmm. of the will that has to happen and sure. an interruption of that growth in order for that things could function in, in the right way, quote unquote, in a, in a having, having mode. Society. Yeah. Yes. Right. He talks about, yeah. Indoctrination, rewards, punishment, ideology, which I'm sure we could, yeah, we could really dive into that. Um, no, that I love that. It's uh, it, it creates a problem for the society as we talked about, it's a social construct. You need to break that will for the society to operate 
right. the way uh, we want it to operate. We meaning not you and me, but the larger the society as a whole, the collective, yes. Yeah. And especially with the way we live, like we said, with the marketing and the acquisition and capitalism. Um, it would definitely go against all of that if our will wasn't broken. That, yes. that is definitely true. Right. I mean, he says that it's part of what we are forced to do to give up our autonomous, genuine desires and interests so mm -hmm. that we can fit in so that we can, you know, let the soup, let, um, you know, the fit into the society, basically right. the way it is. And the sad part about that is like, how different would I be? How different would you be? How different would we all be if we could just follow our genuine desires and, sure. and how much healthier, how much happier, you know, how much more yeah. of a flourishing situation would we be in? Exactly. I wanted to read one sentence. I found it so good in the having mode. One's happiness lies in one's superiority over others in one's power and in the last analysis in one's capacity to conquer, rob, kill. In the being mode, it lies in loving, sharing, giving. Ooh. <laughs> and that's, that's good because I think that's what happens. They're the conquer, rob, kill, where the being is loving, sharing, giving. Dude, will um, you read that again? That was so good. <laughs> in the having mode, one's mm -hmm. happiness lies in one's superiority over others. In one's power, and in the last analysis, in one's capacity to conquer, rob, kill. In the being mode, it lies in loving, sharing, giving. Wow. And that comes from what you were talking about, the obedience of, uh, you know, of the laws and the irrational, the, the authority that you were just talking about of um, the having mode of existence. Yeah, controlling other human beings, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Wow, that's so interesting. In the having mode, one's happiness lies in one's superiority over others in one's power. Which, which yes. is the property, acquisition of property, and the capacity I, to conquer. You could yes. have so many aspects of that. And Rob, right. I know people are going to think, well, Rob, but Rob can come in the form of corporations robbing, uh, governments robbing. I mean, so this is a very, you know, kind of a big mm. picture thing. I love that because you know what that says? We we get upset about corporate greed, but our whole freaking structure of <laughs> the way we orient ourselves is set up on robbing, killing, conquering, right. power, superiority. Right. What the hell do we think is going to happen? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and when you know people are marginalized in other countries, say they're dying because of our having the cheap T-shirts that we want, you know, that, mm. that the capitalist want yes. to have the, you know, throwaway t-shirts, like you were saying right. earlier in the society where you don't buy something, you have to buy new stuff all the time. So it's really a big picture kind of theme here. And I know this chapter isn't being, and we're going to get to being, but obviously the being mode is the loving, like you're saying, yes. the, sharing, the giving, or we, you know, talk about even the other cultures where they have to share, where it's more egalitarian. Yeah. That Man, this is good. And he also says the having mode of existence, the attitude centered on property and profit necessarily produces mm -hmm. the desire. Indeed. Indeed, the need. There's for a power. need for power. Yeah, yeah. You got to have it. How can you thrive if you don't have those things in, right. the, in the way we do things now? 
It's really, yeah. really good. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> good it's stuff. Enough. Good stuff. Yeah. Really good stuff. Um, did you have any other thoughts on the um, the aestheticism and equality or anything else that you? Um, I think the part was uh, when, uh, let's see, the one that I really liked is here um, about the, well, we talked about that, that the person can be preoccupied with having and consuming. And he also talks about that going to fanaticism, which I think is very interesting mm. is not that you can't have a certain conviction, but the fanaticism that supports that. Um, and that, I think what we talked about there is when you, when you're suppressing something, then that is going to be damaging in the long run, right? Because the fanaticism right. is getting into one thing and saying, this is it, this is the answer. And he, Fromm discusses that that is not really, that is not a healthy way to go towards, uh, you know, being. I think it's, a, it's an excellent, because he talks about fanatics of virtue representing their own sinful Im impulses. Mm -hmm. And, you know, fanatical, uh, he just gives examples after examples, fanatical uh, vegetarians rep repressing destructive impulses. Anything to me, this is my belief, um, is anything that goes to the extreme, I question. Yeah. Why is the pendulum going that way? So um, I thought that yes. was really, really interesting. Yes. Um, I don't think that, yeah, I think that he addresses that. And, oh, and then that same chapter, he talks about luxury and poverty. Um, that mm. have, what matters oh, is that luxury good. and poverty shall be eradicated. The yeah. quality must not mean the quantitative equality of each morsel of material goods, but that income is not differentiated to a point that creates different experiences of life for different groups. Yes. Good. I love that. When I first read that, I was struck. I was like, wait, whoa, wait, wait, what, what? Like, I can agree that we definitely don't need to have poverty, but whoa, when you start saying luxury is eradicated, like, there's some people that are not going to be very happy about that. Right. It, it, it's very striking. And I would, I would venture to say that the reason we haven't gotten rid of poverty is because there's way too many people who could not give up luxury. They could, right. they don't want to give up on luxury. Right. And uh, furthermore, I think that there is a balance. And like you said, he says, e equality is not going to mean like we each have the exact right. same thing. That's not right. realistic, but it does mean that there's not this huge gap right. between how I live uh -huh. and how you live. Right. There's not that's, this incredible gap. That's how I interpret it. It's not this gap and that you, that, that where he writes that to a point that creates different experiences of life. To me, different experiences of life. I want to have the experience of eating, having a yeah. roof over my head, you know, right. being able to live. Yes. Um, as opposed to like you're saying, this huge disparity. Yeah. That, that we see. And, and you're right. He does not say it's not that each thing is going to be exactly equal. Like I have three pieces of bread. You have three pieces of bread. That's not <laughs> what he's saying. Right, right, right. That's just not realistic. Mm. So good. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, um, I'm excited uh, for the next chapter too, which is where he kind of dives into what the being mode is, mm -hmm. um, which obviously as much as this was really good, 
That one's really good too. Uh, I've read this book before and I have like so many notes in here. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. In the in the margins. Are you that kind of a person when you read yeah, books? Yeah, I've, I, I've highlighted and made little notes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's good. Well, um, we're going to leave you with a little bit of audio um, from one of our friends again, Richard um, Barry. And uh, yeah, we are uh, thankful that you guys were here. Sonia, anything else you want to say before we go? Um, no, the last thing I was going to leave people with that Fromm says is search to be yourself rather than have and consume. Mm. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Knowing yourself is so much more satisfactory than satisfying, not satisfactory, than having a bunch of stuff. Because I think you know, there's a tendency to like fill a hole with stuff mm -hmm. and self-awareness is a way more effective way to feel fulfilled. Sure. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, we appreciate you guys all very much. Thank you so much for listening. Um, we are uh, on Spotify. We are on all of the platforms. We're on Twitter um, at Rethinking Humanity without any vowels in the word rethinking. That's how you find mm -hmm. us. Um, I'm at Lacey Delane. Sonia is on Instagram. Sonia, do you want to say yours? Uh, at Sonia Loria. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we're, uh, we're on socials, so check us out. And uh, thanks for for following and uh, keeping up with our podcast. We appreciate you guys. Stay yeah, safe out stay there. Safe. Wear, wear a mask. Wear a mask, please. Let's, let's end this shit, por favor. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Tamara Levitt offers another insight on the subject. She writes, Have you ever noticed that we say we have a body, not that we are a body? It's the same thing with our mind. We say that we have a mind. So if we have a body and a mind, if these things are things we possess, then what are we?